Hello, I'm Daniel Snowman, and this is the fourth of our six podcasts about the London Philharmonic Choir. How does a choir like the LPC function? How is it run? How is it financed? How does its relationship work with its mother orchestra, the London Philharmonic Orchestra? When I joined the choir 40 years ago, the all-important secretary of the choir was an extraordinary woman. Sheila Lewis knew her better than I did. Her name was Nora Cash and she was a school teacher. She was rather prim and proper. She wore beautiful colours. She had a great eye for colour. And she smoked incessantly. She always had a cigarette drooping out of the corner of her mouth. During rehearsal? Not when she was actually singing, but during the interval when she stood up to make announcements, yes. She had been, a, as I say, she had been a schoolmistress. And I think she, uh, she taught mixed infants. I expect she had to be... Perfect training for the choir secretary. Absolutely wonderful. That's what we were, a bunch of mixed in infants of all ages. The, the choir is run by a committee um, and there are members of the committee that have specific functions like a treasurer and the secretary, um, chairman and, and, as I say, various other specific functions. But the voice reps are there to represent each section. Um, that's certainly what I felt my role was. And if the Sopranos had got a problem, then they would come and talk to me and I would take that problem to the committee. And if the majority of the Sopranos had a particular view on something, I felt it was my role to put that view to the committee, even though I may not have personally agreed with that view. Um, because you are there to look after your section. So you're a shop steward on behalf of the Sopranos, but you're also kind of a, I suppose a sheepdog. I mean, you're also, yes. or, or, you know, where were you on Wednesday? Kind That's of right. Um, and you, you have to cajole people to do concerts they don't really want to do, to make sure you've got the right balance and enough people turning up. Well, you always get the dizzy blonde who turns up at the wrong hall at the wrong time and on the wrong day. Um, <laughs> um, so you, you, you have to be aware that there are those people and, and contact them and say, you do remember that this rehearsal isn't at the normal place, it's somewhere else. The soprano section, I think, is slightly different from the other sections is it tends to be younger um, and you get people who are in their last year at school or in London whilst they're at university so there is a, a change over and you get a lot of young professional women who have got high-powered jobs and to be able to drop something to go to an afternoon rehearsal can be difficult and the voice reps have to understand that. On the other hand, um, when you join a choir like this, you have to appreciate that it is a commitment. It's not just a, a hobby you can pick up and put down. And so you have to plan your life so that you can do the majority of the rehearsals. Otherwise, um, you're not going to be in a proper state to do the performance. 
weeks of rehearsal, usually at the Bishopsgate Institute, precede a performance like that. But what about the nuts and the bolts? How, for example, do the members of the choir get hold of the music they sing from? A word from the librarian. First of all, we've got to know reasonably far in advance what the programme's got to be. Uh, then the music required has got to be sourced. Uh, got to make sure you've got the right edition, edition that the doctor wants to use. Then you have to find the where it is obtainable, uh, from where it is obtainable, um, get hold of all the music. When it's when you, say, you say get hold of all the music, but I mean that's kind of 150 copies of great big fat Mahler scores. I that's mean. right. Well, if it comes from our, our music hire, that's not so bad. It's sent to normally to Bishopsgate. Uh, at, most of the music can actually be sent from wherever we get it. But then we've got to organise it. It sometimes comes with numbers on it, but they're uh, not usually in order. So before the music can be issued to the choir, it has to be numbered. We have to make sure we know exactly that we've got the right number and how many we've been sent. Then we have to issue the music. It can be particularly difficult when we're doing multiple concerts with multiple music. And that's the difficult job, collating it all so that everyone gets the right, the correct music and all the music. And then at the other end, um, there is actually getting all the music back. That is actually possibly that's the most difficult the worst part. That's the most difficult part. Um, you can either collect it at the hall and hope to get all those who actually took part to return their music, provided they haven't slipped out quickly. But then, of course, you've got to get all the music back to somewhere where you can actually, what's the word, decollate? <laughs> um, and make sure that everyone's returned all the music and then chase up all the, the latecomers. The recalcitrant ones. Yes. We're also very lucky in our accompanists. Um, we've had some wonderful, wonderful accompanists over the years. Tom Trotter, Stephen Betteridge, and now Mal Ian, Malcolm Hicks. Malcolm Hicks, and now Ian Farringdon. You know, superb guys, all of them. Really, really excellent accompanists who know just what is required, um, know what level of support to give the choir and then when the choir has got the music to go off and do all the the more interesting musical bits which the orchestra are going to be doing their skill is very underrated and um, they make our life so much easier and a very good accompanist can make the difference between a perhaps tricky piano rehearsal and one that is an absolute joy to be part of. When the London Philharmonic Choir began in 1947, it was a creature of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. And indeed that continued right through until the mid-1990s. Basically through all that time, 
The choir was paid by the orchestra, had of course the name of the orchestra, the chorus master was paid for by the orchestra. And then in the mid-90s came a divorce. The orchestra was no longer in a position to support and pay for its own choir. And the London Philharmonic Choir had to go its own separate way and negotiate its own fees and so on. The relationship remains a good one. The choir is in a kind of first refusal situation and the relationship works well and it does many concerts for the orchestra, but it's a separate institution, legally speaking. And that has a number of implications. We're a charity, but we are a company. A company means that um, there is limited liability, uh, which is a comfort to the committee, so that if there is a loss on a concert, um, the committee don't become personally liable. They do, of course, have to comply with all the Companies Act laws and regulations and the Charities Act laws and regulations so that there's certain things that they obviously can't do. But it, it runs as a company, files accounts annually at company's house. But being a charity presumably means it doesn't have to pay tax on its earnings. That's right. But it does mean that it has to do certain things. Um, it has to fulfil. It, yes, it has to fulfil charitable objectives. So um, one of those is education. So one of the things that we we do do is is work with schools. We've just done a concert with the Hertfordshire Youth um, Chorus and Orchestra, um, and that was part of the educational purpose. As LPC chairman, one of Peter Taylor's concerns is the overall number of singers the choir is contracted to provide, especially for a big concert. That can be very difficult, particularly, for example, in the summer, if we've got a difficult piece to put on in the summer, for example, at the proms, to get those large forces when people, you know, they have other commitments and they want to go on holiday. So it's a fine balance between encouraging people to attend as much as they can and stressing the importance of these concerts compared to some of the, perhaps, the other fun events that we do, which important in different specs, mainly financially, but, but these concerts, they are bread and butter. I mean, they really are. Um, they are they're the important things that we that, that, that the choir should be doing. So it's a, it's a question of encouraging people to, to, to do what they can. And um, I think the reps, the, 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 the voice reps, play such an important part in, in, in that um, because you know, it, it, it can be very easy to say, right, you can't sing in that concert because you can't do this one compulsory rehearsal, one tutti rehearsal. And it would be very easy to do that, but, but you know, during the summer, sometimes that, that, that could mean that we, we lose a lot of, lot of members from taking part in these events. So it's a real, it's a fine balance. And I think the reps that we have at the moment are particularly good at meeting that, getting that balance right and ensuring that, that, that the chorus master who's preparing us for these big events is fully aware of those, of those uh, difficulties.
Then there's the all-important question of finances. Since the London Philharmonic Choir became institutionally independent of its orchestra, it's of course had to balance its own books. So how does it decide which engagements to take on and which to reject? There's no rule really. I think we take each um, engagement, each concert um, in, on their own merits. I think that it's evident that there's an important orchestra, an important conductor that we want to do well with because there's a future there, then there may be a situation where we will sort of do something at cost, if you like, or, or maybe even at a loss. Uh, there are other occasions where we might do some fun events um, where there's little point in doing them, really, um, unless we can make a little bit of money to help fund perhaps other concerts. So there is a fine balance there. Sometimes, inevitably, the choir takes on work, frankly, because it'll help fill the depleted coffers. That, too, can be enormously exhilarating. Jerusalem. And in the next podcast, some of the truly memorable moments that choir members talk about when they get together.